When Jesus calls us out as men, he will call us to take the heroic journey to become like himself. And the first thing he will do is to ask us to enter death. Now, the last two podcasts have addressed a couple of key ways that happens through the experiences of hitting the wall, as I like to call it, and letting go of idols. Today's podcast will focus on another aspect of that death. It is dying to our false selves and all the sins and dysfunctions that flow out of that false self. This is so critical because the false man can never be the heroic man. The false man is too concerned about how he appears before others. He's too bound up in himself to have the emotional bandwidth to offer himself for the good of others. So, how do we start that process? How do we unmask the false self? We do it by telling our stories, especially the shameful and difficult parts of our stories. We become heroic by facing the shame and refusing to cower before it anymore. We quit listening to the voice of shame and we start listening to the voice of truth. We start listening to how Jesus sees us and defines us instead of how shame has defined us. Let me illustrate that with a story from my own life. My first experience of shame that I can recall happened in the seventh grade. And in the seventh grade, I was a pretty shy, geeky kid. I had the big, thick glasses. I was very introverted and uh, very fearful. I just was entering pre-adolescence. I just changed schools. And I was looking for any way to please my teachers and to please my peers. I also saw what happened to boys who were mocked or did something that deserved mocking. I didn't want to go there. So on one very gray day in February, the teacher announced that they were going to have a round robin basketball tournament. And as she read the list of names, my name popped up and immediately I felt a stab of fear. Here's why. I'd never played basketball in my life. I didn't even know what the rules were. I have no idea why they picked me. I have this vivid memory of walking to the gym the afternoon it was going to happen and walking down those steps of the gym and feeling like a sheep going to the slaughter because I knew no matter how hard I tried this was going to go terrible. I can remember walking into that gym and thinking that I was being watched by 20 or 30,000 people when in actuality it was just some of my classmates. As I got onto the floor and was called out, I remember feeling like I had no idea what I was doing, that I wish I wasn't there, and that a hole would drop in the ground. As I got the ball, I remember getting rid of it as fast as I could, shoving it off to boys who seemed to know what they were doing. And as I walked off that floor, something flicked inside of me. I was never the same carefree boy. Somehow, I felt I had been exposed before all my peers as being unworthy of their friendship, that I was supposed to know how to do this because it seemed like every boy did. From that point on, I became cautious and guarded. I didn't want to be mocked. I didn't want to be shamed again. This is how my false self began. And out of that experience, I framed this idea about life very much nonverbal, but very much I was committed to it for years. I will never fail in front of others again. That became the watchword I lived by. I would avoid anything that would require the risk of public failure. And then when I began to speak and teach as a minister, I carefully scripted everything out beforehand. 
I became what my wife called later a cardboard cutout. It looked real, but it was a sham. I'm Bill Delvaux, and this is Heroic, a podcast about the surprising path to true manhood. Fighting shame and the false self is one of the places a man has to go to as he walks this surprising path. We'll be joined by Nate Larkin to discuss this battle and how we can fight it well. Nate is the author of Samson and the Pirate Monks and the founder of the Samson Society, a fellowship of Christian men who are serious about authenticity, community, humility, and recovery. If anyone knows about dismantling the false self, It is Nate. We will approach this topic by understanding shame and how it produces the false self, hearing how the false self can be unmasked, and talking about discovering the true self that hides in each of us. I love talking to Nate because I always learn something new that surprises me. Our conversation together was no different. So here's why I'd like to start today with you. Um, how would you define shame, and how does it produce our false selves? Well, I think shame is this deep feeling, a message that we receive, usually fairly early in life, uh, this feeling that our true self is unacceptable. There's something about us that is deeply flawed, that if it's discovered, will be absolutely fatal. And uh, so it becomes a matter of preservation. Uh, to um, find a way to cover up. I think in biblical language, it's uh, I've got to run for the bushes, and if I have to come out of hiding, I better cover up. Yeah. Yeah, kind of what Adam did. Yeah, Encounter sure. the fall, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Cover and hide yeah, that's at right. all costs. Yeah, it, that's the message of shame. Well, talk to us about how your false self began and sort of where it led you. Well, I, I enjoyed your story, Bill, about that early memory of shame, and it, and it triggered one of mine. Yeah. Um, this was before even my sexual awakening, and a lot of my shame uh, is around sexual behavior. But this is before I was even aware of that whole world. Um, I grew up in church. My dad was a preacher. And like you, I was always slight, small for my age. You know, I was nearsighted, not very athletic. There were a lot of things I wasn't good at, but I was very good at church. Uh, And one of my gifts in church was I had a strong singing voice, just a clear soprano voice, good set of lungs. And uh, so one weekend, my dad was invited to preach at a church out of town. It was an overnight trip, and he took me with him to sing the offertory. Uh, So that was the plan. I'd set him up, he'd knock him down. So, so the offertory was trust and obey, and I, I, I knew that song cold, and I, I mean, I want to tell you, I nailed it, and uh, the church ladies loved it. So when the service was over, um, you know, my dad and I stood at the back of the church, and dad shook the men's hands, and the women leaned over and pinched my cheek and told me what a marvelous young man I was, and and uh, you know, predicted that one day I was going to be a preacher like my dad. It was wonderful. Well, the church was finally empty, and we're walking back across the empty parking lot toward the car. 
And my dad has still not said a word about my singing. So I tried to pry the pump and I complimented <clears throat> his sermon. Right. And suddenly he turned around on me. He wheeled around on me with this furious look on my face, which was uncharacteristic of my dad, at least toward me. And he said, I am so ashamed of you. Oh, my. I can still feel that just, it was a bolt of shame. And I, st I, I, I started to cry. I said, what, what, what? He said, I saw you fishing for compliments by the door. I saw you taking credit for that song that you sang. Your voice is a gift from God, and it's given only for God's glory, never for yours. I am so ashamed of you. Now, my dad had the best intentions in the world, but the message that I got right. was that um, I, my need for affirmation could never be seen. And I became... I became, at that moment, committed to false modesty and really became a master of it. And, of course, later when, you know, during my sexual awakening, uh, when that, those urges arrived and that behavior began, I didn't need my father to say, I'm so ashamed of you. That internal voice was, was very active. Strangely enough, you know, years later, by this point, uh, I'm out of seminary. I'm deeply hooked on pornography. I, I've been introduced to hardcore porn. I have a secret life nobody knows about. I've got a public life that everybody loves. We're in South Florida. I've actually taken a job as a church janitor, which really fit the false modesty thing perfectly. Wow, that message again. Oh, absolutely. Back to you. Wow. But the, but the senior pastor invited me to preach one Sunday morning. Now, I had been preaching to a vacuum cleaner for a year, and I, I, I had a message down, right? And on that Sunday morning, I put one out of the park. I nailed it. It was so good that the following Sunday, I was on the front page of the Fort Lauderdale Sun Sentinel. Wow. And it was so good that at the end of the, the sermon, I got a standing ovation in a Presbyterian church. And that's saying something. Yeah. I immediately felt that same terror, uh, and I fled from the platform. I didn't even close the service, and I went and hid in the janitor's closet, hmm. and I stayed there until everybody, the all thousand people in that church left, and, and I could hear uh, my wife and a couple other people go, where's Nate going up and down the halls, hmm. until I finally, it was safe to come out. And I wouldn't have to face something terrifying like affirmation for a job well done or a generous introduction like you just gave me a few minutes ago. It's, it's a sign of progress that I can sit here right. and receive some affirmation. Yeah. The affirmation that we all need is boys and young men. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, we go and seek it other places mm -hmm. underground. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Talk. Um, let's go here. Talk about how with, with that set up for the false self and the, yeah. the shame and how that operated in your life talk now about the call to unmask it like yeah. how did that happen because it's never something that we easily choose no. and often 
we're forced into a corner sure. where we have to go. And so talk about how did Jesus call you out and ask you to start unmasking? Well, it came, as it almost always does, at a point of crisis for me. It was, it was uh, I was 42 years old uh, when my wife caught me uh, late one night uh, downloading porn. Now, she had seen me for years uh, drifting away from her emotionally. I was very unhealthy. Um, and, 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 at that, and I had made a hundred promises to change. I had done my best to change, to beat that raging addiction. had never been successful. And that night, um, she said, I'm done. She said, I still love you, but I don't like you. I don't trust you. I don't respect you. And I don't think you can ever change. Those were the words, really, that saved my life. Mm. Uh, what, was it, what was it like to hear those words the first time? It was terrifying. It was terrifying. But it confirmed what I knew to be true. Uh, but at the same time, um, I know that it was a gift of God, that there still was a bit of— I didn't go all the way to despair. There was maybe a chance that if I did something I'd never done before— I might be able to salvage the only friendship I had. And for me, that meant uh, going for help. Now, at that time, due mostly to my experience in church, and I'd been in a lot of toxic churches and had contributed to the toxicity, um, I didn't go to the church for help. I actually went to a 12-step group that met in the basement of a church in the middle of the week while all the good people were gone. Uh, and it was there in a circle of metal chairs um, that I found the safest room I had ever been in. Mm -hmm. A place where I was encouraged to bring myself out of hiding. And there was absolutely no shame and no risk of rejection. Uh, it took me several weeks to even begin to trust that kind of freedom, that kind of empathy and love and acceptance, that grace. But when I did, that was the beginning of shame reduction for me. To be able to look other men in the eye and say in the barest and baldest of terms, uh, to own my shadow, I guess, to use right. that language. Yeah, that's, that's great language. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and to come out of hiding and to, uh, yeah, and to begin to form and then to live an integrated life. What was it like the, when you first started to tell your story? Mm -hmm. Like how, how did that process work in you? What, what did that sort of feel like? Well, it felt awful. I, uh, um, what I did, you know, I was in 12-step world. So uh, when I got to a step four, and a step four in 12-step world, it's a searching and fearless moral inventory, right? Yes. Um, well, when I did my first step four, I wrote up a federal indictment of myself. I mean, I, I would send myself to San Quentin for, you know, 50 sequential life sentences. Mm -hmm. I made myself out to be the worst person on the planet. There was so much self-hatred and venom in that. Yeah. Which is what shame drives us what, to. Exactly. And I had a wonderful sponsor who, uh, when I got done, he just, he said, well, maybe some of that stuff you said is true. Maybe most of it's true. 
It'll be nice when you can say it without so much shame. What was it like to hear that? It was like having all those years unraveled and undone. It really was. It really was. That I could say that and he didn't retreat, nor did uh, – he wasn't about to organize a lynch mob. You know? <laughs> it's almost like he's saying sort of join the rest of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? It's I okay. remember when I did my first step. The first step is when, you know, we're trying to deal with unmanageability, and so I wrote our sexual history, a right. very long and detailed yeah. sexual history, as best I could. And I was still coming out of the fog, so there was so much I didn't remember, but still it was pages and pages. Yeah. And I met my sponsor in a park to read him my first step, and we sat on a bench, and, and he said, okay, I, I, and I got, my, right. my hands are shaking, I'm holding the pages, and, and he said... Uh, before we get started, what didn't you write down? <sighs> and I said, what do you mean? What makes you think I didn't write something down? He said, everybody doesn't write something down. What didn't you write down? And so I told him the thing, this terrible, horrible, right. shameful right. thing. And he didn't blink. Right. And he said, thank you. Now read it. It was wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. It, that, that, that experience is what, what a normalizing, not an excusing of our behavior, but a normalizing that. It's sort of like, you know, again, join the rest, join the rest of the human race. Right, exactly. This is where we all live and breathe. Yeah. You know, and this is kind of where and it since it's a welcome this is where we need to go you're you're on the path come on mm-hmm. it's almost like an invitation when i listen to that yeah, Remar- yeah. that's a remarkable thing that he did yeah 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 and where did so and, and again just just flesh it out a little more how in terms of the the 12 step and the progression and the, and the unmasking um Talk about what began to take place inside of you in reference to shame, self-hatred, yeah. your father's early voice. Yeah, this, yeah. Where, did that, where did that trajectory start to go as you began to tell your story and bring it all out? Well, you know, as I, I – it, it's as though my friends, my brothers – and these were all Christian men actually yes. – uh, it's as though they they kind of channeled self acceptance for me. I was finally able to uh, own my true self when they reflected it back to me. That's exactly. Yeah. Um, they reimaged you. Right. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And, and I, we need that image. Absolutely. I can never just go alone into the wilderness and figure it out. Yeah. I need somebody to to remind to tell me what they see and remind me of who I really am. Yes. People often ask my wife, you know, she stayed with me. Uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm gl- so thrilled to report that I am still married, and ha- we're happier than we've ever been. And it's been for- more than 40 years of marriage now. Thank God. Um, but she had a lot to forgive. Um, you know, I had, you know, I had stepped out of the marriage just countless times. I couldn't even, I couldn't even number them. And wasted hundreds of thousands of dollars on pornography and prostitutes and um and but the worst part really was um you know i spent my children's childhood mm-hmm. was absent for all those years really f- and uh, abandoned my wife emotionally and 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 
often really was cruel to her in mm. subtle ways and was very patronizing toward her as part of the that my own arrogance came out that way it was it was a i was a difficult person to live with who had a sparkling wonderful reputation right. which my wife dutifully protected right yeah. um, but she's she is often asked how she ever learned to trust me again mm. it was it was uh it was a gradual process she was um uh, you know, I had to earn that trust back. Right, right. Uh, she would have been an idiot just to trust, Absolutely. you know, my early recovery. But she said what convinced her that this maybe was real was when I stopped being um, uh, reactive to criticism. Interesting. Uh, in fact, I remember during uh, doing, during the the fourth step when I was trying to prep for the fourth step um, I, I, I sat down with Allie on the front porch and I said I have to do this inventory of my character defects can you help me well she was afraid to kind of step on that landmine because it's <laughs> yeah, like, it's, it's I, like wait a minute that's a ten thousand dollar question her experience was <laughs> I would always counterattack. Yeah, that's exactly right or I would disappear or I, I was just so self-protective but, Again, which is what shame does. Right, exactly. But now I've kind of lost my fear of the darkness, and I'm on a treasure hunt. And so she tentatively offers, you know, a suggestion of a defect. And I'm writing it down, and I'm going, tell me more. Mm -hmm. She got pretty enthusiastic about that project, <laughs> actually. She had some more to say. Yeah, yeah. yeah, she was enormously helpful. And it did tax my ability. Uh, you know, after a while, we did have to kind of call it close to the session, but it was enormously helpful. But that that kind of thing. Right. And and that was all that all came from from a reduction of shame. Right. Yes. Yeah. I don't have to defend my own righteousness because I'm a Christian. Right. I have a righteousness that's not my own. That's and that's the key. It's not your own. Right. It's it's a gift. Absolutely. Right. Um so I am free to be uh, my real self on a journey, in a process, going from glory to glory on this progressive thing, this healing thing. And all healing, really, almost all healing, almost all healing is progressive. Occasionally, we get that instant healing. Uh, yes, I call it the quick work of God. It right. does happen, but often it's that slow work. Yeah, but, which is never what I was asking for. And I prayed forever for God to deliver me from my addiction. I want I went forward so many times. Um, careful careful uh, not to fully disclose to any other human being why I was there. Right. Or often I went forward without ever leaving my seat. I did it mentally, right? But but begging God for the for the miracle cure. Hmm. I wanted the healing and I wanted the instant healing. But um God loves me too much to give me that, and he's so gracious uh, because really life is in, is in the process. It is. It's the journey. And it's miraculous. It's absolutely miraculous. It's just progressive. Yeah, yeah. And the progression is that in that progression we learn to, as shame reduction, we learn to trust him more and more. Yeah, and that's, that's, again, part of that journey that he has us on in, in this because 
shame involves. The reduction of shame always involves an upping in the level of trusting others and trusting God. Yeah. They go together. These days I call my false self, that very well-developed uh, false self, Saint Nate. <laughs> um, I, I love that. And uh, I always felt that God was deeply disappointed in yeah. that. It was a revelation really to learn that um, uh, God never really loved St. Nate, never even liked St. Nate because he didn't make St. Nate, no, I did. that's right. God loves me. And my problem, what was missing from my relationship with God all those years was never God, it was me. He would invite me and I would send St. Nate. Because <laughs> you were in hiding. That's right. You were in hiding. Yeah. Uh, he loves me. Jesus died for me. Right. Not and Saint Night. That's right. It's the same thing that was missing from all my other relationships. Yes. I was very, you know, uh, yeah, I was, uh, I was very well known, but nobody knew me. And that, that is such an irony. Yeah. And such a tragedy. Yeah, yeah. That so many men deal with. Yeah, yeah. Talk about, um, your, what's it been like to discover your true self in Christ? What's that journey been like for you now that you've been on for how yeah, many years? 20 years in recovery you know, and, and then all that's kind of flowed, f- flowed out of that yeah, with yeah. the book and the Samson Society. Just what's, what's that whole journey been like for you? Well, it's humbling. Yeah. Uh, it turns out I really cannot improve on myself. <laughs> Uh, and when I try to act or embellish, when I try to be larger than life, the quality of relationship suffers, uh, the outcome and the fruit uh, diminishes. Um, but when I, without being uh, falsely modest, when I can actually see myself as just another bozo on the bus, when I can be just a man among men, yes. a member of the human race, right. when I can bring myself into the room and tell the truth as currently uh, as possible and actually be there, it is astonishing to me, Bill, what comes out of the smallest conversations. Um, I don't have to swing for the fences anymore. And God still does great things. I'm so humbled by what God is doing with the Samson Society. See it now, you know, having a global impact. It's It's overwhelming. I mean, I looked at your website and I was like, oh, wow. I mean, I've sort of followed it at, you know, at um, distance, but I've known about it for a long time. But I just went on on there today and I was like, oh, my, this is amazing. Oh, virtual meetings have changed the game. It's gone global. It's amazing. Yeah. But all we're doing, all we're doing is facilitating friendship, authentic friendship. Right, as you said. Yeah. Serious, but not grave. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) This has been Heroic. Join us for the next episode as we discuss some of the practical ways to help men as they enter the death that is required of all heroes. If you're enjoying the Heroic Podcast, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts and tell a friend who might want to listen in. Rating and word of mouth are the best ways to get the word out. You might also like my book, Heroic, The Surprising Path to True Manhood. 
Heroic will give you what you need to take the journey to become a man. It will help you find your guide for the journey, own your true identity, and discover your quest. This is how we become truly heroic. Go to heroicbook.com for more information and to order a copy. That's heroicbook.com.